to all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. Thank you guys for being the dads that you are. We appreciate the way that you love and the times that you serve and sacrifice, not only for your families, but for those around you. So thank you and happy Father's Day. Well, you know, before I became a father, way back, right when I graduated college, I was working in sales and marketing, and I did that for a little bit, and after a couple years, I was getting restless, so I started looking around to see what other opportunities were out there. And so I'm looking for job openings, and I came across this job opening for a marketing manager at a medical school, and it was saying that the starting salary was going to be 100 K, $100,000, and I thought to myself, no way, right, no way, and so I didn't take it seriously until I read through the description, and in it, it said it was a Christian school, a faith-based school founded on Christian values. Now, that got my attention, because if it's Christian, they can't be lying about this, right? So I start applying, and sure enough, they call me in for an interview, so I go to the school, and it's a legit school, I show up. And I walk into the interviewer's office, and right there and then, I knew this was going to be good. Because he had his worship music playing in his office. I looked at his bookshelf, and he had his study Bible and other Christian books that I was familiar with. And as we sat down and began that interview, right away, we just clicked. It felt like I was talking to a brother from church. It was so comfortable, and I spoke with all genuineness and sincerity and At the end of the interview, he said, hey, would you mind coming back for a second interview today, this afternoon? I want you to meet our founder and president. I said, of course, absolutely. So later that afternoon, I I came in and I sat down with the founder of this medical school. And it was so, once again, comfortable. We clicked We talked about faith and talked about work, and we talked about the integration of faith into the workplace. He, he, at one point, he opened his Bible, and I remember him pointing me to King David, and how he said King David was a man of great wealth, and yet he used his life to honor the Lord. It was like a little Bible study in that interview. And after that interview, he said to me, hey, would you come back later this evening for a third interview? I want my whole board to meet you and see what they think. I said, of course. I couldn't believe this was happening. So later that day, at 5 o'clock, I came back, and I remember sitting in this room, and there were six of the board members surrounding me in a semicircle. I was right there in the middle, and they began firing off all their questions. What do you believe? What are your convictions? What are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? And I was able to answer these questions without skipping a beat. And I just felt so calm and confident. And after that interview, they said, well, thank you for your time. We will deliberate and discuss, and we will get back to you this week as early as tomorrow. And I walked out of that interview, and I could not believe what was happening. This was too good to be true. I never in my life imagined making six figures this early in my life. I wasn't even 25 yet. This was like 16 years ago. And I'm already thinking, I'm making six digits. If that were you, what would you do? What would you do as you walked out of that interview? You know what I did? I started praying. Like I started praying like crazy. I started praying prayers at Thanksgiving. God, thank you for giving me so much calmness and confidence in those interviews. 
and I started praying prayers of humility. God, keep me humble that when I make six figures, I wouldn't look down on my friends who aren't making as much as me. I started praying prayers of wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Should I accept this job that they're going to offer me? Like, is it an automatic yes, or will it consume my life? And may, will it tank my faith making that much money? And so I prayed prayers of wisdom. You know, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, you know what I would say? I'd go to the younger Greg and say, hey, Greg, make sure as you're praying these prayers of thanksgiving and, and humility and wisdom, also pray a prayer of praise. Pray a prayer of praise. Specifically, you might want to pray this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today, I want to show you why that prayer would have been very powerful for me during that time and how it's just as powerful for me today and how I believe it's powerful for you to pray today. So we've been in this series on the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, and the Lord has taught us, modeled for us how to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 9, Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's the prayer of praise, the doxology. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. And Father God in heaven, thank you so much for this prayer that you taught us to pray. Thank you for this whole journey we've spent in the past several weeks exploring how we can pray better according to your way. And I pray that, Lord, this wouldn't just be a prayer that we pray, even if we don't pray it verbatim. Lord, I pray that these things would be on our minds as we pray, Lord, that you would help remind us of who you are and who we're praying to. And I pray that it would give us proper perspective and it would put us in the right place whenever we pray. So teach us how to praise. Teach us how to lift up the one who owns the kingdom, who has the power and deserves the glory. God, I pray that as I preach, Lord, that this message would not be successful or impactful, that it wouldn't change anybody's life unless it is true and we know without a doubt it has come from you. It is your word to us and that you get all glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. That prayer that I pray the Lord's Prayer, if you've noticed, I read from the New American Standard Version, the NASB. Because if you read it from the ESV version, which we usually do, or the NIV version, or other modern translations, you'll find that they actually omit and leave out the last part in brackets, which we call the doxology. Doxology is a hymn of praise. The part that goes, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And we've shared before in previous messages that many scholars believe that the oldest Greek manuscripts and the most reliable Greek manuscripts don't have this doxology included. 
And so modern translations today also have decided not to include it as well. But today I want to preach on this doxology. I want to teach about this hymn of praise. Why? Because even though it is not there in Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is there in the Bible. I believe it is absolutely biblical and absolutely theologically sound. Right, Because you go to the Old Testament in First Chronicles chapter 29, when the temple of God was being built up for the first time, and people were bringing offerings to dedicate this to the Lord, King David breaks out, he bursts out with praise, this hymn of praise, and he says in verse 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. And the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And what David was doing as as he was praising God, he was making known that as great as the kingdom of Israel is and may become one day, that as great as all this is, everything in the earth. And in the heavens, all the kingdoms of the world belong ultimately to you. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Yours is the victory and the majesty. And he broke out in praise. And I want to suggest to you, friends, today that when we pray, I want to suggest that it is extremely beneficial for us to include in our prayers this kind of praise. That we pray and we praise in this way. Because whether you are praying with great faith or little faith, whether you're praying for small things or big impossible things, whether you're praying with godly motives or selfish motives, to end and cap our prayers with this doxology puts everything back into its rightful place. It puts us in our rightful place. And it gives us proper perspective by reminding us who he is and who we are. So let's explore. What what do we mean when we say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory? Well, let's start off with yours is the kingdom. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Yours is the kingdom. What do we mean by that? Well, in previous messages, we talked about the kingdom is anywhere God is king. Anywhere God reigns as king. And so when we declare, God, yours is the kingdom, we're reminding ourselves God is king over all. He has all authority, sovereign authority. He's in total control. He owns everything, and so he rules everything, and he determines how all things will go in his kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. And so maybe you find yourself praying, and maybe you're praying, God, What is my work going to look like? Give me a a job. Or maybe you're praying to find somebody that you could marry one day so you can start a family with them. Or maybe you're praying for your kids who's kind of gone off the path and that God would just bring them back to him. Or maybe you're praying for deep-rooted racism to just disappear from the earth. Or maybe you're praying for the nation to turn their hearts back to God. Whether it's small or impossibly big, it's good to remind ourselves when we pray Yours is the kingdom. In other words, I have no control, God, over this world. I have no control. But you do. Because you're king. 
and this is your kingdom. You know, if you were to uh, fly a drone over the icy waters around Greenland, uh, you'll notice big pieces of ice flowing in the ocean, some large icebergs, some smaller flows of ice. And if you zoom in on your drone, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice that at times you'll see pieces of ice flowing in different directions. You, you got large pieces of ice flowing in one direction, then you have smaller pieces of ice flowing right by it in the opposite direction. How in the world is that possible? I saw with my own eyes a time-lapse video of ices, ice pieces crossing each other. How is that physically possible? Well, it's very simple. The smaller pieces of ice are blown by surface winds. And, and gusts of winds will come and blow those smaller pieces of ice wherever that wind goes. But the larger pieces of ice are not moved by gusts of winds, but they are moved by the deep, powerful ocean currents where no wind or no gust or no human force can redirect those deep ocean flows. I love that analogy because the Bible actually often uses wind to talk about those things that are, un that are changeable or fickle or unpredictable. Things like false teaching or the culture of our world. But while these things in this world blow at us and toss us here and there, back and forth, to and fro, at the same time, there is a powerful, unstoppable thing moving simultaneously. And that is the sovereign plan of God. It is the sovereign hand of God moving according to the purposes because he is king. It is his sovereign authority, and that is not altered by wind. I love in the Psalm, Psalm 135, verse 6, the psalmist says this. He says, whatever the Lord pleases, whatever the king pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deeps. Job agrees, and he says in Chapter 42, verse 2, he says, I know that you, God, you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing you do can be thwarted. Isn't it crazy how in 2020, we're not even halfway through yet, but in 2020, how the winds have been blowing us here and there and our emotions are high and low I mean, here in 2020 already, the gusts of winds have caused wildfires to spread throughout the continent of Australia. And then we've experienced a tornado of emotion surrounding Kobe's untimely death. And then the currents of coronavirus have blown us and shoved us into our homes. And then you got the raging winds of racism and riots that make us feel this way and that way, up and down. And all these events have affected all of us in one way or another. That's 2020 for you. But you know what has not been affected in 2020? The sovereign purpose of God. And it is still moving, and he is still doing something. And I love how John Piper puts it. He says, sometimes we just need to plunge our minds into the ocean of God's sovereignty. That's good. Sometimes we just need to plunge our lives into the ocean of God's sovereignty and find rest 
and solace in his sovereignty. We need to be reminded that when we can't see or understand what in the world is going on, that the one who sits on the throne above the world, way above 30,000 feet, can see all that is going on, and he understands what's going on because he is a king who's in total control. He has all sovereign authority. And we need to be reminded when we pray that, God, yours is the kingdom. Now, think about the things that you find yourself praying most often about. And I'm willing to bet the things you pray most often about are typically the things that cause us to worry or the things that sadden us or that frustrate us or that anger us or bother us or stress us out. Those are the things that drive us to prayer most often. But if we would just cap off our prayers just as often with this burst of praise, this declaration, and say, God, yours is the kingdom. It gives us perspective, and it reminds us, God, when we say that we're declaring, God, you are king, and I'm not. Thine is the kingdom. It's not mine. It's also saying, God, yours is the kingdom. It's not the devil's. God, yours is the kingdom, not coronaviruses. And the corona means crown. You're the one who wears the crown. You're the one on the throne, not the one in the White House. Not not that expert or all those experts on social media. It's not China. It's not Russia. It's not North Korea. It's not the U.S. But yours is the kingdom. It's not my unfair boss. Yours is the kingdom. And so whatever's swaying you here or there, causing you to feel this way or that way, Don't forget to pray, yours is the kingdom, because in that declaration of praise, we are reminded of his power. In that declaration of praise, we're reminded of his power. Now, that word power is interesting. In the English, we have the word power, but in the Greek, there's different nuances to the word power. In fact, there's two different words that the Greeks use. One is the word exousia. And exousia implies power in the sense of authority. You have authority. That's kind of what we just talked about when God has sovereign authority for his is a kingdom. But then another word in the Greek for power is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's that forceful ability to make change, to make things happen. It refers to not sovereign authority but to physical ability. And that's actually the next word used in this doxology. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. Would you guys write this down? For yours is the power. And so here in this doxology, we're acknowledging yours is the kingdom and the power. Yours is the dunamis. So not only do you have authority, you have ability. Not just sovereign authority to do And say what you want, but you have the physical ability to actually make it happen. That's the power of God. Do you believe God is powerful? Back in 2006, my buddy Jeff and I, we started a uh, a mentoring program for young um, high school guys called Exodus. And we called it Exodus because it was our way to take the guys out and trek into the wilderness to go and encounter God. Specifically, we would, we would take them to Zion National Park in Utah. Now, Zion is a beautiful park, and 
the hottest time of the year you can possibly go is in the dead of summer, in the months of July and August. Well, guess when we would take the guys to Zion National Park? In the dead of summer. Because that was the only time we, we can find time to get off work and go. And so we would go and we would backpack out to Zion. And one year, our group was so big that they wouldn't allow us to hike together in a group that size. And so we had to split up the groups. My buddy Jeff was going to take them on a two-day hiking trip. And I was going to take them on a two-day hiking trip. But we had to split up. So Jeff took the guys down into Zion Canyon. Now, in Zion Canyon, it can get kind of cold in there because sometimes the sun can't make it in to the canyon, and there's water that runs through it. There's a river, and when you get wet, and you will get wet, and there's no sun to dry you off, it gets cold. So Jeff took the guys down there. I feel like I got the bottom end of the, of the bargain because I had to take the guys to hike at the top of the canyon. It's called the West Rim Trail. We're going to hike for two days on the top of the canyon, and up there, there's no shade. All you got is the blazing Utah sun beating down directly on our guys. It was 108 degrees that day, bone dry heat. So we start off on this two-day hike, and I'm, I'm leading the, the team, and they're all behind me. And every once in a while, we would stop to get some water. And I noticed as I looked during one, one of the breaks, I looked, they're guzzling their water. Like, we're almost out of water. And that was mile one. We still had at least 15 miles to go. And so I tell the guys, guys, conserve the water. Do not drink the water unless you absolutely have to. We have two days of this to go. And so they, they took my word for it. They obeyed and they listened to the instruction. And so no one touched their water. But that caused us. That costed us. Because one of our guys, a high school guy named Mike, he started getting dehydrated. How do we know? Because he started getting this bad headache, this major headache, and he started feeling nauseous, like he wanted to throw up. And so the guys stopped, and they gave him the rest of, of their water, and, and we stopped, and we laid our hands on Mike, and we prayed for him. God, would you take away his headache? Would you take away his nausea? And then some of these young guys started getting really bold with their prayers, and they, they start praying, God, make it rain. <laughs> they God, send rain so we could have water. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, we brought him out here to, to experience the power of God. But, man, I, I was like, God, please don't disappoint. And I was wondering as they were praying that if, if I was setting them up for disappointment. Because I, I think I know why they were praying for rain. Because all those guys had heard me preach in previous sermons about the time when I prayed for rain in the most impossible situation, and God sent the rain. And so they're probably taking my cue, and they're praying the same thing. And as they're praying for rain, I'm praying, God, please, please let water fall from the sky and hit my face. Otherwise, there's going to be egg on my face, and I prefer water. And so they're praying for rain. We continue hiking. And as we continued that hike, guess what happened to Mike's headache and his nausea? Nothing. He still had a headache and he still wanted to throw up. Nothing happened until we got near our campsite about halfway into the hike. And as we were there on the rim, almost to our campsite, we look out across the canyon. And I kid you not, these clouds start coming together and forming. 
and we had this on camera, and all of a sudden, we saw across the canyon this flash of lightning across the sky. And about 10 seconds later, you hear this thunderous, boom! And all of a sudden, water starts pelting us in the face, and it starts pouring rain. And we're like, what is going on? And so we run to our campsite. We un- unpack our stuff. We pitch these tents. We're-, we're getting this tent set up. Some of these guys are putting out tarps, tying them to tree- trees, draining water into bottles so that they can boil water that we can use for the next day. And it was not just cool. It was actually kind of cold. So we're jumping into our tents. We're jumping into our sleeping bags. We're huddled together, and we're staring out the screen of our tents. And it was intense. Like this was, like, this was amazing. What is going on? And we're realizing God just came through. That's the power of God. He answered our prayers. I want to ask you, how many of you believe that God is powerful? That means he is able and he could do whatever he wants and he could answer our prayers. And so why not ask? Why not get bold with him? In the Lord's Prayer, we found out not only is he our king, but he's also our good father. And if our king and our father is powerful, why not ask of our God? And then all of a sudden, the rain stopped. And it's like someone just turned off the shower. It never came back. It's not like one of those scattered showers on and off. It just stopped. But it, it was all good for us. It was more than what we needed because it brought the temperature down for the rest of the night, and it gave us water to boil and use. So the next day, we get back to base camp, and our, our guys couldn't wait to go to the other guys of the other group and brag to them what God did for us, how, how we prayed for the rain, and God sent the rain. And you know what the other guys in the other group said? They go, that was you guys? You guys are the one who caused it to rain? They said, man, we were in the canyon. We were wet and cold, and it was raining on us. So they go, so we got together, and we prayed that God would stop the rain, And God just stopped it. And we were like, that was you guys? We were wondering why it just stopped abruptly, just randomly stopped and never came back. We prayed for rain. God sent the rain. They prayed for it to stop. God stopped the rain. How many of you believe that God is powerful? And some of you guys would excuse that. Oh, that's a coincidence. That's probably, it was probably in the forecast. I'll tell you, I believe in the power of God. You know who else believes in the power of God? Jeremiah, the man of God, the prophet of God, believes in the power of God. And here's what he wrote in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 22. He says, are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord, our God? See, we have set our hope on you, for you do all things. And what Jeremiah is saying is he's recognizing that nothing in this world, not the gods that the nations trust in, not the heavens that hover above us produces the rain. But you, God, are the one who does all things for yours is the kingdom and you have the power. He has power. He has authority and he has ability. So I want to encourage you and challenge you, friends, that when you pray for something to happen, as crazy as it sounds to you and as impossible as it might seem, remember to declare, God, yours is the power. God, I'm reminding myself that you can do anything, even the impossible. Now, the question begs, 
And I could almost hear it through the screen. I could hear you asking it in your living room. So what happens, Pastor Greg, when we pray for rain, but the rain doesn't come? Or what happens when I'm praying for healing, and healing doesn't happen? What happens when I'm praying to get pregnant, but my womb never opens? Then what? And I want to say to you, listen, if you truly believe that his is a kingdom and his is the power, then when he doesn't answer your prayer, we know it's not because he's impotent. We know it's not because he doesn't have the power. We know it's not because he's weak. We know it's not because his arms are too short, because we've declared you have the power. But if we pray and he doesn't answer, it's because there's more glory to be found in some other way. And his will is always to maximize his glory. If you believe he has the power, he will answer your prayers according to whatever you ask, according to his will. And if he doesn't, then there must be a more glorious way according to his will. So write this down for our last point. Yours is the glory. For yours is the glory. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. I want to share with you one more passage of scripture, one more story. And in John chapter 11, there's three siblings, Mary and her sister Martha and their their loved brother Lazarus. And Lazarus had become deathly ill, like he is sick, like literally about to die, on the brink of death. And who in the world can they call out to for help? Well, Mary and Martha, they've come to know the authority and the power of Jesus. So they send word, they send a message to Jesus, Jesus, help us. Please, we need your healing. And so the word gets to Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now check this out. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. Circle that word glory. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Would you circle that word glorified? So Jesus gets this request. Call it a prayer. But but they're asking for help, for healing. And right off the bat, Jesus reveals what this story is about. He reveals his plan. He's going to get his glory. This story is about his glory. And so how how does he respond to this request from Mary and Martha? Well, like all heroes do, what does Jesus do? Well, he calls for the donkey, jumps off the donkey, rides off into the sunset to save the day right in the nick of time. That's what heroes do, right? Wrong. No, if you read John chapter 11, it explicitly tells us that Jesus doesn't rush off into the sunset to save the day, but Jesus stayed right where he was. It says that he waits and waits and waits and waits. If you look at the details, four days went by before Jesus decides to show up. John chapter 11, verse 17. It says, so when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days Four days. 
Lazarus has been stinking dead for four days, literally stinking, reeking of death, decaying for four days. And in verse 21, Martha, when, when she sees that Jesus finally arrives, she goes to him, she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary later comes out in this story. She says the exact same thing as her sister Martha said. She, Mary goes, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know about you. I hear frustration. How many of you guys can identify with these sisters? I know I, know I can. We're at times, it's kind of like, God, if you would have just, if you would have just shown up, if you would have just answered, if you would have just done something. God, if you would have just allowed escrow to close, that could have been our house. God, if you would have just made me better looking, maybe I would have more friends. God, if you would have, would have just protected me, I wouldn't have gotten into that car accident. God, maybe if you would just save my son, he wouldn't be living like that. And how many of us have had prayers not answered or maybe not answered yet, and all of a sudden I'm frustrated because you didn't answer me, or I feel abandoned because of your silence, or I'm starting to doubt because there's no answer to my prayer. Friends, listen, if we truly believe that his is the power and we have to ask ourselves, then why in the world do some of our prayers go unanswered if he can? Then why don't my prayers always get answered? Martha reminds Jesus in the story when he shows up, she says, he's been dead four days. Martha reminds Jesus that he's been dead four days. Jesus then reminds her what this story is about. Look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Circle that word glory. He was reminding her that this was always about his glory. That the Son of God would be glorified. He said this at the beginning of the story and he's saying it again right now. And so the story continues. And in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The stinking guy came back from the dead. Guys, listen, I don't know if you know about this about Jesus. Jesus is ride or die. Jesus is right or die. He could have rode off on that donkey to save the day in the nick of time, or he could have let the guy die and decided, I'm going to do the latter. I'm going to let him die. I'm going to let him die. Friends, listen, sometimes Jesus won't always give us what we want when in his wisdom he sees a more glorious way. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes Jesus won't answer us according to our wants when in his wisdom he sees a more glorious way. See, these sisters wanted a healing. Jesus wanted a resurrection. These sisters wanted Jesus to save him from death. Jesus wanted him to die so he could raise him from death. Both are good. Both have good results, but one 
was way more glorious and gives so much greater glory to our King. Whenever we pray and whatever you pray for, it will do you very well to end our prayers with a burst of praise, a doxology to declare, God, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yours is the kingdom. God, I acknowledge you are totally in control. You're all sovereign, and you will do things that no one can stop. And God, yours is the power. You're totally able. You'll do anything you want, and you can do anything I ask. And yours is the glory. Your glory is your priority, God. Make it mine too. And if you don't answer my prayer, show me and let me see the more glorious way. So as a younger Greg, I'm walking out of those three interviews. And if I go, could go back to my younger self, I would have told younger Greg, Greg, make sure you pray prayers of praise. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. See, because as I said, I walked out of those interviews and I was praying. But I was praying about my kingdom come. God, I'm about to make a whole lot of money. God, keep me humble so I don't become arrogant and snobby and, and, and look down on these people who aren't going to make as much as me. God, give me wisdom. Should I take it or not? What's discerning in this moment? And those are not bad prayers to pray. But I wish I prayed a prayer of praise. See, I, I walked out of those three interviews, and that night, that very night, I was having dinner with three of my good friends. Two of them actually attend South Bay Community Church. One of them was my wife, Monica, herself. And as we were around the table, I could not shut up about how good those interviews went. Man, I was talking about how I just crushed it, and God was with me, and I just would not stop talking because, man, I, this was huge for me. And it was kind of one of those humble brag things. You, you know what a humble brag is? Like you're trying to talk all humble, but you're really just bragging. And I, I was saying to them, you know, guys, I'm just asking for prayer. You know, I just appreciate your prayers that God would keep me humble. Um, and that, you know, I would just use all this money for God's glory. You know, just pray for me that I would use these six digits to further his kingdom. And it was, it was totally bragging. And as we were talking about it, my phone rings in the middle of that dinner that night. And I look at it, and it's the school. And instead of excusing myself from the table and taking the call outside, I, I did another humble brag. I said, sorry, guys, I got a call. And I put it on speakerphone just so they could overhear their words of praise for me and this offer that they're making me. So I put it on speakerphone. I'm like, yes. They're like, Greg. We want to just thank you for coming in, and we appreciate the interview. They said, we've deliberated, and we've discussed, and we've made a decision, and we want to let you know that we're going to continue our search, and we're not going to hire you at this time. Oh, like I was devastated, to say the least. I was utterly crushed. That left me so confused for days and days to come. I felt so broken. I felt humiliated that I should speak so confidently in front of my friends and then get rejected in front of my friends. And that took me a while to, to recover 
from that traumatic rejection. And I wish, I wish I had been in the habit at that time in my life as a young Christian man to pray this powerful doxology, to be in the practice of declaring, God, that no matter what happens with my life, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yours is the kingdom. And your sovereign plan for me cannot be thwarted. You already know the details of my life. And no matter what happens, don't let circumstances blow me here and there. Yours is the kingdom and my life belongs in your kingdom. And yours is the power, God. I know you can do whatever you want. You can open up this job for me. You can move their hearts and move their minds to make them offer me this job. But God, yours is the glory. And even if doors should shut on me, let me see that there is a more glorious way. That one day you're going to use my life. And you're going to let me work. And they feel that's going to bring you greater glory. Because I, I believe if I had that sense of perspective, I would have been able to sit and trust in my King. Church, may you keep praying in the ways that our Lord has taught us to pray. And may you keep praising our God in the way he deserves praise. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. So blessed is your name. You're holy and glorious. God, thank you so much that we know you not only as Father, but also as King. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for bread and supplying our needs every single day. Lord, you watch over us, and we thank you from the bottom of our heart. And God, Lord, we pray that you would deliver us from the evil one. And Lord, we know that the devil is ferocious, that he wants to destroy us, he wants to distract us, he wants to blow us with the wind. But Lord, we declare with all our hearts that yours is the kingdom. All of this belongs to you. You are a powerful God, and so we trust in you. And yours is the glory. So we pray that you continue to show us your glorious ways, that no matter what happens in life, no matter what path you take us down, no matter what happens in the rest of 2020 or 2021, or for as long as we live, we trust that your will will be done and our lives will bring you maximum glory. So Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We give you our hearts, our minds, and our lives forever 